All right, so let's, in the spirit of uh, the you pick them, let's do that tonight. You pick the passage of Scripture that we're going to do the Bible study on. And I'll pick who gets to teach it. No takers? <laughs> All right. So um, if I understand the calendar right, remember I'm still the new guy, right? But if I understand the calendar right, we have tonight and next week um, for these Sunday night studies. And then the following week after that is a tree. And then the following week after that, I won't be here. That's the 17th, I think. Um, Teresa and I are going to go see a grandbaby, be, or not be born, but after it's born. And we're also going to go to East Texas and close on our house and get all of our furniture and move it out here. And so we're going to do that in a week right before Christmas. Um, and then it's Christmas Eve after that, and then New Year's Eve after that. So uh, I think, I'll verify this tomorrow in staff meeting, but I think that that means I have tonight and next week with you, and then somebody else will do the 17th, and then it'll be January before we do this again, okay? Uh, and we finished the Beatitude study last time, so tonight what I want to do is begin a two-part uh, series that it's really not tied to what I'm doing on Sunday morning, although it's going to seem like it a little bit tonight, um, and uh, a little more devotional, and I really would like for it to be a little more conversational, you know, kind of back and forth, but sometimes I get to preaching and I forget to ask questions. So, um, so let's test you out as we move into the Christmas season. Uh, how well do you know your Christmas characters? Ebenezer... Scrooge, <laughs> him and the Grinch, those are my favorites. Um, what lesson does Ebenezer Scrooge teach us just as people? Don't be stingy. Okay, good. Christmas is all the time, right? That's true. Okay. All right, so let's try a different one. Um, um, I said this morning I talked about Rudolph. That's Rudolph. Okay, what is what is the lesson we get from Rudolph? <laughs> Animals talk. <laughs> Don't bully. I, I got that one. All right. Okay. All right. All right, so here's the last one I want to give you because you all seem to be really up to date on your... Christmas folklore. Um, how about uh, Frosty? What's the lesson? <laughs> What's that? Okay. All right. Good. All right. So, uh, what I want, one of my favorite ways to do Bible study is to do character studies. Um, and uh, matter of fact, as we go through, um, however long God gives us together, I'm sure that you'll find that I'll lock in on a few character studies as we work our way through Scripture uh, in various Bible studies and sermons, etc. Um, and so what I want to do tonight and tomorrow, I, I have like eight different characters tied to the Christmas story that I would really like for us to get through. And I kind of set out to do that and tonight I was going to do four of them, and by the time I got through with my notes, I, we had to do one, maybe one and a half. So 
we'll get however many we get, right? But I want to kind of nudge you into uh, an approach to the Christmas season and especially the Christmas story that moves us beyond what we're most familiar with. I don't have a problem with us being familiar with the Christmas story. As a matter of fact, if we weren't familiar with it, I would spend a lot of time and effort trying to make sure that we kind of nailed and settled into that. Um, But most of us know the Christmas story. And if you don't, then for sure you'll get it on Christmas Eve in the morning service and in the evening service probably. Uh, But I'm assuming that most of us here on Sunday nights are pretty familiar with the mechanisms of the whole Christmas story. So what I'd like for us to do, at least tonight, maybe next week, is to step into a little more of the obscure parts of the Christmas story. So Luke chapter 1 helps us to do that. And I want us to take this particular character who's not really, I I would say that I'm not sure that we ever really include him in the Christmas story per se, but it is, according to Luke, it's one of the precursors that sets us into, you know, we pick up the Christmas story as we know it in Luke chapter 2, but you can't get to Luke chapter 2 unless you go through Luke chapter 1. And Luke chapter 1 gives us a picture of this guy named Zechariah. Um, Have you heard very many sermons on Zechariah through the years? Probably not too many, and this will be more of a devotional like I said. Now we'll know, most of us will know already that Zechariah is the one who will become the father of John the Baptist. And so the tie-in to the Christmas story is John the Baptist is the one who is the forerunner for Christ. And, you know, all of those things are going on. And we know that Mary uh, is kin to Elizabeth. And so they have this, this, I started to say confrontation. It's it's a a discussion and uh, all of those kind of things. But we want to start with Zechariah. And this is in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 5. And what I want to do is I want to just kind of highlight a few characteristics. I see four different characteristics of him that are very instructive for us as individual Christians, but also for us as a church. And some of these uh, actually can be a little disturbing, at least from the pastor's chair. So we start reading in Luke. Somebody read, if you will, Luke 1, 5 through 10. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the vision of Hanazah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Okay, so let's stop there. Thank you for that. Um, so here's the first one. It grows out of verse 7. The first characteristic that I find that uh, really should kind of resonate with us is that Zechariah is needy. What is his point of need? No children, right? So there's nobody there to pick up for him as he goes on. I mean, he's advanced in age. We'll get all of that in this passage, and we know about Elizabeth. We'll talk to her about her maybe if we have time here tonight. Um, but he's needy at that particular point. That's needy at the point of needy where you can't be more needy. Okay? It's out of his control totally. And yet it's a big thing for them. Um, you ever dealt with needy people? 
Now, I don't want you to, like, you know, don't give us names or anything like that. But there's something about dealing with people that have this overt need or neediness. Now, here's what I really want us to get at. We're all needy. If we really get right down to it, we're all needy. One of the great things about the Christmas story for us is that it is evidence, as I tried to say this morning, that God steps into our deepest point of need with the solution, who is Jesus Christ. But this guy is needy at a level that uh, I think should kind of push us a little bit. Now, let's stop for a minute. I, I want us to think individually, but also want us to think in terms of our church at large. No, not the universal church, but our church. On any given Sunday, what kind of needs show up at church? I don't want names. I don't even want you to say anything that somebody else might go, oh, they're talking about the preacher because that's his big need. Some, I don't want to identify anybody. I want us to think about what kind of needs show up typically when we come to church. Spiritual rest. Okay? Is that, is that based on a, a turmoil, a sense of turmoil in their life? Is that what you're referring to? Just trying to reconcile with what's going on day to day versus the way we ought to be living. Okay, great. All right, that's point of need. Pretty widespread or pretty limited? I'd say that one's extremely widespread. All right, what other needs show up? Fellowship needs, okay. Uh, I, I talk a lot or have historically talked a lot about being connected and the need to be connected. Um, a lot of people live their lives in a very solitary fashion. Uh, Teresa and I are dealing with an individual now, not from here, from a different town. Uh, and the tendency of this particular person is to isolate themselves and to pull back and just kind of hang out with themselves and drill themselves into the ground because there's no connection there. Okay, a lot of people show up at church like that. Okay, what other needs show up? Comfort. Comfort. All right, from tragedies or just general life stuff. All right. Okay, that sense of of belonging somewhere. So, okay. Are these regular in church attendance? You think or? All right. So. So how does a church step into that need, those needs? Was that another, were you going to say another need? Okay. Okay. How do most, well, that's hard to say most churches. Uh, let me put it this way. I was part of a church that was, the reputation that they had was to be cliquish. What does cliquish mean? It means rejecting, <laughs> okay? If you're on the outside of the clique, if you're on the inside of the clique, it's not a clique. It's my friends, okay? We need to make sure we understand that, right? Because on the inside, uh, then it's just my friends, and we're all good, and we're okay together. And even people in that church were known to say, oh, you, there's a place for you. You're, you're welcome to come in. But when it came to reaching out and pulling people in, it just didn't happen. Um, and so one of the problems that that... that kind of pushed into that church and into its reputation out into the community was, you can go to that church, but they won't make space for you. Now, we all know that God doesn't operate that way. 
Christmas reminds us once again that God is stepping into our need, opening the doors and saying, if you have the need, which by the way you do, Jesus is the solution. All right, so let's step a little bit further beyond this. I want you to get this guy has a need, and we find ourselves in Zechariah. may not be the same need that he has, but every single one of us comes to church on a regular basis with a need or a set of needs. With that, then we open up into verses 8 through 10. 8 through 10, where do you find here? I'll read them quickly. You give me uh, the characteristic of his life that resonates. Verse 8, Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. What do we find in him here that is instructive for us in life? He was what? He was serving, all right? Here's the, let me put it in my terms, but that's exactly the point that I want us to get. He was needy, but his need did not disqualify him from service. Okay? Now, there's a lot of background on this, and I don't really want to take the time to go into it tonight, but there's a lot of background for him as a priest and his opportunity to serve. You had to be part of the priestly group, uh, the clan. You also had to, you know, they, there were so many of them that they went through the system of figuring out, okay, so this is your turn now to serve in, in the temple. And so that's his deal. But he shows up at work. That's a huge thing for us to get uh, because that gets me to verses 11 and 12. Now we get to the heart of what I really want to talk about tonight. Verses 11 and 12. Somebody read those two verses. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Okay. Anybody have a different translation? Let's get a couple of different translations on this. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Okay. Anybody have a different translation? One more. Okay, I figured you did. Let's hear it. Unannounced, <laughs> an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed in fear. <laughs> All right. So here's the scene. Here's the scene. Now, I'm gonna, let's pull these together, the ones we've already talked about. The need that he had was a social reality for him. Everywhere he went or his wife went, there was this stigma that was attached to that. Okay? They don't have children. And yet God still chose him, he was allowed, he was chosen is the best way to say it because that's exactly what happened, chosen to serve God in this high holy way. So what I want us to understand as we step into this is our need does not disqualify us from service. As a matter of fact, sometimes our need best equips us to be the servant that God has called us to be. As long as we recognize that need and we don't just throw up our hands and go, well, you know, it is what it is. I have whatever my need is, uh, and so I'll just act like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And God says, but you still are able to serve. And so here's now Zechariah. Let's make sure we get this scene. Here's Zechariah carrying this need with him, going to work. He, where does he work? I don't want you to miss this part. Where does he work? All right, let's put it in our terms, right? So Bob and I both go, well, he went to church. No, he went to work. 
What's the difference for a minister going to church or going to work? You might not think about that, but ministers think about that all the time. He's working, obviously. Okay. He goes to church, he is also being served. He's not the only one serving. Okay. All right. Well, that's certainly true for Zechariah here, right? He goes... Right, I'm going to make a leap, and I know that this is a leap, okay? But I'm really not making it on him, I'm making it on us. Um, the way this reads... It sure sounds like he went to church without expecting God to show up. Okay, now we know this is not God in the flesh who shows up. Who is it that shows up? Well, we haven't read that far yet. I mean, it does say angel. We're going to find out before it's all said and done. This is not just any angel. This is Gabriel. All right? So we're going to come to that in a few minutes, but let me, let me just, maybe this is more my own personal devotion than it is for you. It is really easy, even if you happen to be a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a Bible study leader of some kind, you have some kind, you sit on committees. I mean, we have, some of you in here have been in a meeting for two hours already today. It's easy to fall into a pattern of, well, I got to go to church and I'm going to go do my work at church and never expect God to show up. Let me ask it this way. When you came to church this morning or tonight, did you come expecting to see God show up? Or did you just come to a Bible study? Now, I tell you, this is such a subtle thing for us. We slip into and maybe it's just a minister thing, and I've been a minister so long it's hard for me to remember what life in your chair is most of the time. But it is really easy for us to just check off the boxes, you know, the old Sunday school forms, you know, the envelopes where you check off Bible read daily and you know, giving and all of those things that make you a good Baptist. How long has it been since you went to church expecting God to show up? So Zechariah goes to church and boom, in a place where there shouldn't be anybody else, all of a sudden, somebody's in there with him. Amanda, read your version again. I, I was hoping that you brought your Bible to give us this translation. Okay, stop right there. Okay, put yourself in his shoes. <laughs> now, where I came from, uh, that's either time to pull your knife or your gun, whichever one you happen to have. Somebody shows up all of a sudden like that. Now, it would have done him no good if he'd have done either one of those. All right, and what does it say it was his response? Can you relate to that? Okay. So God showed up. Let me stop for a minute and let's make sure that we wear that before we go on much further. With Zechariah in this particular case, God shows up in such a way that he meets him at his point of need. And we haven't read that far yet. We'll do that here in just a second. But when God shows up for him, God does so in an alarming way. Whether he was expected or not, we don't really know. But all indications are he was not expecting this. 
And yet God showed up and said, I'm going to meet you at your point of need. But what I want us to hear from that is that when God shows up with us, everything changes. Everything changes. I could walk you through, and it hadn't been that long since we went through the whole call process and you heard our story. So I'm not going to take you through my story again. Let me take you through a friend of mine, okay? Because when Teresa and I came to El Paso three and a half, almost four months ago now, um, not long after we got here, I got an email from a friend of mine. And uh, this guy's been a friend of mine uh, since we lived in Hobbs, New Mexico. So that was in the mid-90s, I guess, so 20 years plus. But I've talked to him sporadically uh, over those 20 years. After we left Hobbs, you know, we left that part of life behind and just a few friends we made, kept contact with. So Jay called me, uh, or sent me an email actually. Uh, some of you know Jay Hammond. Jay was the uh, director for Aspendale Camp. Uh, now Jay is the director for Civil's Baptist Encampment in Cloudcroft. And uh, Jay was one of my youth workers when I was in Hobbs at Taylor Memorial Baptist Church. He was also my barber. That was when I needed a barber. <laughs> now I just need a rag. Um, but Jay was our barber. Teresa and Brenda, his wife, were friends. We had boys that were the same age. And so we did things with them. You know, we'd go to their house and eat. They'd come to our house. We went do snow skiing, those kind of things. Um, and Jay and Teresa and I, or Teresa and I met Jay and Brenda in Las Cruces about a month or so ago, just as a way of, uh, well, we're, we're back in the area, let's reconnect our friendship. And Jay told me over a nice steak how God had used a statement that I made in a teacher training session. I used to meet with our uh, youth workers every week, and we were doing teacher training and working through some things, and uh, and Jay was always there, regular. He was a deacon, great guy. Um, and I was working with our workers in Genesis chapter 12. That's where God says to Abram, it's not Abraham yet, it's just Abram, right? And God says to him, hey, it's time for you to get up and leave everything that is secure in your life behind and go to the place and I'll tell you. And so I was working my way through that as a Bible study with our teachers and doing some training. And Jay told me a month ago, he said, you know, when you said that, God, I, he said, I don't know what you said after that, because God so spoke to me through those words that I knew right then that my life was going to have to change. And he said, not long after we left town, and we left not too long after that, uh, God had so engineered his circumstances where he sold his part of his business, and they loaded up their family, and they moved to the panhandle of Texas to begin full-time ministry because one offhanded comment in a Bible study session, God showed up. And he says in his life for 20 years, he goes back to that moment when God said, this is what I want you to do. So that's a moment like Zechariah has. Because God steps into this for Zechariah and he has more to say to him that we'll see here in just a few moments. But let me just stop for a minute. And, and I, I want to, you know, I've been here long enough now that I want to start reflecting back some of what I see, all right? And in this Sunday night Bible study group, uh, I would like for us to pray about some things together. 
okay? One of the things that uh, I think is a good indicator of a healthy church is that God starts calling ministers out of it, calling people to ministry in that church. You know, when a baby, well, I don't know how it is now, but years ago when a child was born, um, I'm pretty sure they didn't take that child and put it into a refrigerator in the delivery room. We put them in incubators, right? Right? Okay. So what's, what's an incubator? Why, why did we do that with babies? Now they put them under lamps, I think. Why? Okay. To get them warm, not a refrigerator, but to create the environment that is conducive to their best health. I believe that God does that with his young ministers, that he puts young ministers into healthy churches where they can grow and they will grow and they get a picture of what it looks like when a church gets it right. So I know that First Baptist Church has a long history of God calling ministers out of it. But I think that that's one of the things as a church that we should pray that God does. Okay? That's just me. You don't have to agree with that. You don't have to pray with me. But my prayer is that God will keep moving in our church to the point where he will have the freedom either to call mem- uh, ministers out of us or to put ministers into us for that growth process before he sends them out to other places. If we just go to church or go to work, and we don't expect God to show up, it may well be that God will show up somewhere else. Now, I know my theology, all right? I know God's here. We say, uh, we quote that passage, says, if two or more are gathered, then there am I in their midst. I'll quote a different one for you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. When you show up, the Holy Spirit's here, right? But there's something about God's people as we come together. And God says, I can use that group of people. So when we come to church, do we come to work or do we come expecting God to do something to change lives on that particular day? All right. So uh, let's read a little bit further here. Uh, Let's notice what we already saw Zechariah's response. Um, that's a good time for me to just go, you think? You think he got a little bit afraid because of that circumstance? Let's keep reading now, verses 13 through 17. Somebody read those if you would, please. But the angel reassured him, Don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. You are the name of John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn new sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents and children, and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Okay, so put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. If God said that to you about your child, how many of you would go, you sure you got the right kid? (laughs) How would it impact you 
if God said, this is what I'm going to do, at your point of need, where you don't even see the solution yet, I see not only the solution, but I see the way that solution fits into my eternal plans. Now, I don't know how you would respond, but for me, I see that. I, I just might go right up in holy smoke right there. I just, how do you handle that kind of prophecy when your need is so overwhelming going into that moment? God shows up, it scares you to death, but then this angel starts talking about what God's plan is with this kid. I'd be glad that that man's going great. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's great. Um, so, so just that part of it is, it fits into some of God's special plans. A Nazarite vow was one that set this person apart for God's service. And God's saying, I've done that with this kid. It's an incredible word. And I would think, now, I don't want to give myself this kind of credit, but I want to give it to Zechariah. I would think that Zechariah would hear that and go, well, there you go. My problems are fixed. But Zechariah is too much like us to get that right. So we read the next couple of verses, 18 and 19. Somebody read those, please. All right. Let me stop right there. <laughs> That's a cotton patch version. All right, so... So Zechariah brings his need to work. God shows up and turns that need on its head. And he gives him this statement moving towards the future. So this old man who knows that his life, if he's going to have a baby at that age, he knows that he's not going to see that baby grow to be an adult. And so God just pulls back the covers just a little bit and says, let me show you what I'm going to do with your son. And Zechariah says, that's awesome, God. Thank you so much. I, I just can't overstate how appreciative I am of what you've done. Is that what he said? What did he say? All right, let's make sure. Okay, now I'm through cutting him some slack. Let's make sure that we put this in its right context. What does Zechariah do for a living? He's a priest. Do you think he heard about the story of Abraham somewhere in his past? But here's the deal. When we live, give me very carefully now, when we live at the mercy of our needs, it's easy to block out what God has done in the past. Let me restate that. When we live at the mercy of our needs, when the situation of our life is so overwhelming to us and that's all we can see i'm going to put a tag on that in a few minutes but when that's all we can see we can't see by definition what god's done in the past or what he promises to do in the future because we're so locked in on what he's not doing today and so zechariah says this it's impossible this you know there's great humor in scripture if you look closely enough. And here's, here's one of those places, verse 19. And the angel answered him, 
Let me go back to 18, make sure that we get the full flavor. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I forgot to say this. I wanted to make sure I did. Guys, don't blame your failing faith on your wife's. All right? You think it would have done him any good to have his wife hear him say this? Probably not. little marriage counseling for you, all right? You need to own your own failing faith, all right? So that's verse 19. And the angel answered him, I'm, okay, let me put it in what I think might be the inflection here. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. In other words, Gabriel says to him, hello, do you not know who you're talking to here? You weren't expecting me to show up. I showed up. You don't even know how I got in here. I mean, let's just put it right down the bottom shelf. You don't know how I got in here. I showed up. I, I bring you a message from God, and you're so focused on what you need that you can't even hear the Word of God into your situation. I have... This is a fundamental uh, piece of the Christian life that we need to get. So I'll put it this way. I told you I would tag it. What we find Zechariah experiencing here is what I call situational focus. It is being so hyper-focused on the situation around you that God's promise just gets lost in the framework of everything else. It's been so focused on the situation that you can't see God's deliverance or His promise. That's Zechariah here. I I have this need, and I'm serving you. I'm not getting anything out of it. God shows up says, here's what I'm going to do for you. He says, but you don't understand. How often do we say that to God? in one way or another, but God, you don't understand. Teresa and I were working through some things with this person I was telling you about, and it's painful. It's painful to watch somebody who knows Jesus and has in the past heard from God and yet refuses to get off of the situation enough to hear the good news that is coming to them from God. Let's be careful in our own individual lives that we don't get so tuned in to the problems of the circumstances around us that we can't hear the voice of God as he speaks over the top of that into the heart of where we are. Guilty of situational focus. Here's another way to say that. If God promises it to you, you can take it to the bank. So let's stop for a second. We're almost done here. In order for that to work out for you, if God promises you can take it to the bank, in order for that to work out, you have to be able to hear his promise. In this case, this is not some big general truth that God lays on Zechariah. It's pointed, and it's to the point. And it speaks directly to his need. It speaks directly to the solution of that. And it speaks directly to what God's going to do in the life of that kid in the lives of other people. 
very personal promise from God. So part of what we have to do is we have to live our lives in such a way that we have the environment around us at all times that we can hear what God has to say. Because I believe that God still talks to us in ways like He did with Zechariah, maybe not Gabriel showing up. That's a pretty, pretty good messenger that got sent on that deal. But God can use a donkey, right? He uses it in the pulpit of this church every Sunday. <laughs> God can use anything to communicate His specific word to you. And let me pull it off of you and let's put it on us as a church. What is God's specific promise for us as a church? Where are we going to be 10 years from now? You know what? If we don't ask that question, in 10 years we're going to be in trouble. In 10 years we'll be talking about what God used to do here. So part of what we need to do on an ongoing basis is we need to be praying, God, what do you have to say to us? Where are you going? What, we, we, I'm not even smart enough to know my need sometimes. So we create the environment as best we can, and we trust God to create it in such a way that we know what he has to say. We know what his promise is. But the problem that we will face is we'll get his promise, and then the circumstances won't match the promise. And then we'll let the circumstances rule the day if we're not careful. So Zechariah falls into that, and I think we fall into it with him, or at least I do, when I'm not uh, doing my best spiritually speaking. So verse 19, don't you know who I am? Gabriel says, I bring credibility like you can't even believe. What a great statement that Gabriel gives to him. So let me jump. Let's get off of him in the time that we have left, which is like two minutes now. Let's do the second character, all right? You got enough of Zechariah that gave you enough to study on this week? So let's go to Elizabeth now because I think Elizabeth helps complete this picture. Verses 23. Oh, well, so I should have said in where we stopped reading to verse 22, uh, Gabriel says, because... Well, you know what Levi Price used to tell us, right? I told you this. Dr. Price used to tell us boys in class, just don't be dumb. Don't, don't be dumb, right? So Zechariah was dumb, right? He got God's promise and he chose not to listen. And so God made him dumb, right? The can't speak kind of dumb now, right? Some of the, this is just a point in reference and I'll move on. Sometimes when we choose not to trust God, our failure to trust God gets to be really public. And that is not a good time. So that's what happens with him. We jump to his wife now. So we read verses 23 through 25. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Here's what I get from her. It resonates for me. When God shows up, and meets the need, he does it in ways that just blows our mind. And what blows my mind about this is that public shame that she carried for years was taken away. You know, don't you, that we have people 
who won't go to church because their public shame is such that they just can't face it. They think that if they'll go to church, then those church people will laugh at them. Those church people will shun them. If they only knew what I had done, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in counseling sessions with people. Preacher, if you just knew what I'd done, you'd know why I don't come to church. Even God wouldn't have me now. There's nothing further from the truth from that as it relates to God, nor should there be anything further than truth, further from the truth than that as it relates to God's people. We must always be the body of Christ who understands that people fail. And we make space so that God can do in them what he does in us. Elizabeth, all of a sudden, all of those years of shame were just washed away by the grace of God when he stepped in and said, what you could not accomplish, I have done for you. Merry Christmas. Let's go. Let's pray and we'll go. Father, thank you for your word that challenges us, that does surgery deep inside of us. We ask you to have your way with us. Help us to be intent and committed and courageous to hold fast to your word, to have the freedom with each other and the freedom with you to say, this is my point of need. I recognize that this is a hole in my whole lifestyle and something's got to give. And then help us to seek you out and listen for your voice and when you speak into our situation, that we would hold to your promises, even when the circumstances around us seem to argue against it, so that we might be that group of people that you can look at and say, you know what, I can trust that group of people to raise up my children in the generations ahead. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for preserving your word for us and for your spirit who breathes life into it. Change us as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Have a good week.